Boring night of games. You probably didn't watch them all here in the NBA, but John and I did, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know. Then Ben Golliver joins us to talk about the Markel Fultz saga and are the Toronto Raptors really for real? And is it ever okay to bounce a basketball in a fan's face, even if they're talking a lot of trash? This is the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Let's go. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast covering everything around the association. And on Wednesday, I am Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. And I am John Corrales of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Reds Army underscore John. So Ben Golliver of the Washington Post is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes here. But first, we had a bunch of games tonight. And John, they were kind of... Terrible fun. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys didn't, one. didn't need to watch this. One was good. You guys didn't need to watch this. This is our job to tell you what you need to know so you can go and impress your friends or your friends and be smarter basketball fans. So we call this the too long didn't watch. And we start in Chicago, a 96 90 win for the Indiana Pacers. Good news for the Bulls. Larry Markkinen is back 21 points, 10 rebounds on the night. And that's basically all you need to say about them. Yeah. You know, that's that's it right there. Yeah, there uh, we go. Pacers, Pacers, another game without Victor Oladipa out for his eighth straight game. But they get a nice double-double out of Miles Turner with a season-high 18 points, 11 rebounds. And look, not a pretty game, but a win for the Pacers. And they can take them where they can get them. Yeah, that's all they need to do. Moving on, we head to Florida. The Magic beating the Heat 105-90. to Again, this is just a pretty bad Heat team at times. You had Aaron Gordon putting up 20-13. and Nikola Vucevic, who has looked outstanding this year, 19-10. and Basically just easily took care of business top to bottom here. Yeah, very easy game there for the, the Magic Corps. Surprisingly, uh performing well at 500 Miami heat. What is wrong with them? Uh, they got a, a decent night out of justice Winslow. Kelly Olenek had, he had 13, but he hit three straight threes to kind of keep the heat sort of in it late. But uh big third quarter really doomed the heat uh, for, for a uh, big third quarter for the magic doomed the heat. Yeah. And then moving on the Portland trailblazers taking on the Dallas Mavericks, Dallas wins one eleven, one Oh two Portland gets 33 from Lillard 18 from McCollum. And it's just not enough as Dallas raced out to a big lead 34 to 20 after one and basically just never looked back. They, they didn't look Portland is not good enough to withstand poor shooting nights from those two guys, which they did uh, 17 to 42 combined from the field four fifteen from three. They're just not built to withstand a night like that. Meanwhile, for Dallas, Luka Doncic is the man. He had a great finish, 21 points, a killer step back three, and then two full court touchdown passes to close out the game. Man, that kid is nice. Yeah, he looks like the real deal, and I'm pretty excited about him. 
Elsewhere around the league, more blowouts starting to happen. The Sacramento Kings oh. all over the Phoenix Suns. Sacramento's pretty fun, by the way. 122-105. I mean, the the Suns put up nine points in the first quarter. Not so part brutal. of the first quarter. Oh, my God, it was awful. Like, the game was oh, over man. then. 36-9 really after one. I don't really know what else you need to say there other than that. Buddy Heald's continually looking really good. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is really fun. They got big performances from the bench in this one. And I mean, just Phoenix had no chance. No, none. With no Devin Booker either. Uh, that was just to get crushed like that. 36-9 in the first quarter. Oh, man. Brutal. But yeah. look, that, that that's not a bad result for the Phoenix Suns who are, are looking at the, the Zion Williamson sweepstakes. So... <laughs> This is ideal. Uh, DeAnthony Mountain looked good. He had 21 points off the bench. That's got to be a win. You develop a young guy. You lose a game. That's exactly what you want <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're the Phoenix Suns right now. Not and much then, else to say there. No. Elsewhere in another blowout, big time, the Utah Jazz getting probably a much-needed win over the San Antonio Spurs, 139-105. to 105. Oh boy, this one was a little rough. Big first quarter again for them, 34 to 20. Big third quarter for Utah, 41 to 31. And basically that was all she wrote. The the Spurs are weird because they look decent to start the year. Then some injuries hit and you realize they just have no defense at all. Yeah, that's really, and it's unusual for a Spurs team to give up 139 points to anybody, especially this Jazz team that's been struggling the defense is a, a big, big problem. Offensively, I just want to see them take some more threes. They are the Does league's... Popovich want to see that? I don't know, but they, they're the league's best percentage-wise three-point shooting team, but they are at the bottom taking three-pointers. They can hit them. They didn't hit them tonight, but they can hit them, take some more. If you're, if you're not going to shut teams down then you got to try to outscore them. If you've got guys that can hit those threes, take them. They're scoring. Look, the Atlanta Hawks were the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA. Score five more points per game from three than the Spurs. The Spurs need to take more threes and at least turn some of these games into shootouts. Yeah, and because, look, that's the only way they're going to win. You're not going to win with defense when you kind of look at their roster top to bottom and – None of those guys are good defenders. Like you're, you're not looking at Rudy Gay or Davis Bertans slowing people down. Nor Demar Derozan or Lamarcus Aldridge. You're missing some guys for the season with this, or for extended period of time. You, you you're going to have to win with offense, and it's that simple. And I think wasn't Popovich the other day saying like, "Oh, I hate the three pointer. It's not great," or something like that. Maybe not to that degree, but it just doesn't seem like right now they're really like built for the modern NBA or to even compete this year. That, well, I mean, they're not that far off. Like they still, even after the loss, are five and a half games. They're they're the second from the bottom standings wise, but they're five and a half games out of the top seed. So even at eleven and thirteen, they're still not out of it. They're still two games from the eighth seed. It's so bunched up in the West that they can figure some things out, but. They're going to have to change their style. Look, it's not ideal. It's not the Popovich normal way. But if you're going to look to win some of these games, if you know you're not going to be able to stop some of these guys, some of these teams, use the thing that you do well and just just step on the gas, man, and, and try to get to the playoffs that way. It's 
playoffs over pride at this point for Spurs and Popovich. And I think you and I both trust Popovich to be able to kind of get that done and get that message through. And they do beat up on bad teams for the most part, which is, you know, an important thing for them to do if they want to at least get into the playoffs. So, like we said, a lot of blowouts, kind of uneventful games, but you are caught up on everything now. And if you're looking to get caught up on the action that's going on every single night in the NBA and don't want to deal with following too many different people on Twitter, we've got the thing for you. And that's because the Locked On Podcast Network is doing basically unprecedented things here on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, follow at Locked On NBA Net, and you get all of the Locked On Podcast Network local hosts covering their NBA teams in one feed. And it's only going to retweet things that are relevant to the NBA. So you won't hear John and I blathering on about random things there. <laughs> it's just going to be the Pelicans and the Celtics. That's exactly what you want during a night of action when there's breaking news or if you just need to get some local perspective of these on these teams. So on Instagram also, there's Locked On NBA Net and it's giving you the biggest news in just one minute on your Instagram stories and you get longer cuts from the podcast in the feed so make sure you follow locked on nba on both twitter and instagram joining the locked on nba podcast we've got ben golliver at ben golliver on twitter of the washington post ben thanks for joining us oh it's my pleasure guys how you doing great doing well here yeah so Bit of some some news here uh, with Markel Fultz, and we talked about him a couple of weeks ago now, but he's got to go undergo rehabilitation on his right uh, shoulder. He's been diagnosed with what's known as thoracic outlet, outlet syndrome per his agent and attorney. Does this finally resolve kind of the mystery about what's going on, or does this only add to it so far? Well, let me ask you, is there a real mystery? I mean, he's not going to be on the court. Nobody's surprised by that because he hasn't been on the court for the better part of the last two seasons. And nobody misses him in Philly. I mean, is there at any point over the last month, have you looked around and thought, man, the Sixers really need Markel Fultz? I mean, obviously he would help. But when you look at them adding Jimmy Butler, the way they're trying to make things work between Butler, uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I mean, they have bigger fish to fry. So uh, you know, I think it's good that they've got a diagnosis. Let's hope this is the real one. I mean, obviously, it's very a strange basketball injury. I, I was doing some research today. It seems like, you know, maybe baseball players, you know, more commonly have this issue. Uh, I mean, am, are you guys confident? I guess I would spin it back to you. Are you confident that this period of uh, rehab is going to just make Fultz all better? And, and in three to six weeks, he's going to be back on the court. I'm not. I've, I've basically written him off for this season. I look, it's it's possible. It's so hard, like you said, to actually kind of figure out what's real and what's not. This is part of this feels like they went searching for a diagnosis and this is what they came up with. Uh, it It's legitimate enough, but there are legitimate questions about how did you test? How did you figure this out? How how did you come up with this diagnosis? Uh, is this something that is is real or is this something that they said, well, yeah, it, it could be this. We could just say it's this and and we're going to rehab for this and and hopefully this fixes something. It feels like there's enough plausible kind of stuff going on where you could say this is they they reached for a diagnosis they found somebody who can give them some something that they can hang their hat on something that's not 
uh, a guy who has the yips that's not some sort of mental issue and they're going to spend their time doing this and then maybe this is enough time to buy them time to get to the trade deadline and at that point Philly can just say we're going to cut bait and we're going to take whatever we can for this guy I, I don't know what to make of this it, it, I think almost any outcome here is equally possible at this point that he could play in three weeks and people be like oh okay he's fixed he could never play for the Sixers again. He could never play in the NBA again. He could go to Phoenix and be rejuvenated. Any of those things seem possible at this point. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because, you know, this is just calling for him to kind of rehab it and rest it. And is that something they just didn't necessarily want to try before or didn't try before? And I guess it's tough if we're not doctors and I don't know, but it just seems kind of odd that, you know, if the solution is just kind of chill out for a little bit and let's work on your shoulder, like they should have tried this by now. Right. Well, I feel like they tried a lot already. And you look at his last summer regimen. I mean, he's getting up all these shots. It's all this talk about, you know, how well he's, you know, working out in the gym with Drew Hanlon and all this stuff. And it seemed to me like they were trying to really boost his confidence. You look back at some of his social media posts over the last year, and you know, he's talking about mental health issues and, and things of that nature. It, that kind of stuff is clearly on his mind. I mean, I understand the attorney and the agent wanting to protect his client, saying it's a physical issue, it's a physical issue. I don't think it's that simple, even if this was the thing. I mean, you look at how hard he plays. I mean, I don't know if this issue has anything to do with you know, how he moves around the court or how committed he is to the team concept, how well he moves the basketball. Those have all been issues, too. I mean, it's not just the shot. When you watch this guy play, something is clearly off. And it, it didn't always seem physical in terms of his movement and, and his engagement levels this season either. So when you were laying out um, you know, all the possible you know, ways that this could end, to me, I'm still very skeptical that this ends with like you know him on the court being a productive rotation member this season. And I also find the timing very strange here. I mean, he basically goes on this search for a, a diagnosis immediately after he loses uh, you know his role or the role that he thought he was going to have coming into this season. I mean, that that smells funny. You know, if this was any other player, uh, you know, we would raise questions about you know his commitment to his team. So, uh, you know, I think we're at a situation here. A lot of people were writing the divorce story, I think, in terms of, OK, how much longer can Philly like, you know, bother with this before they have to move forward if they really want to be a contender? And that's I'm at that point now. You know, I think it's they're better off if they want to be a team that's going to win now and make a big swing blockbuster trade for a guy like Jimmy Butler. You don't have time for this stuff. You know, just get them off and, and move forward. Well, I think it's also important because they kind of had the dysfunctional organization kind of aura to them this offseason. And now you have people kind of openingly questioning their medical staff, which doesn't paint them in a better light either. So maybe it is better to move on and at least kind of make your team maybe look more attractive to free agents or something like that. I don't know. Just get that cloud away from this team that's kind of hanging over you. Yeah, but Philly, Philly really just has misplayed this whole thing. I mean, can't we just at least blame you got to blame the team for some of this a lot of this has fallen on Fultz and I'm sure there's there's plenty of blame to go around like Fultz tried to retool his shot it feels like he tried to retool his shot somewhere along the process they really screwed it up somebody did something horribly wrong and it screwed up his shoulder and then from there it screwed up his confidence and from there the entire thing was mishandled and the Sixers have now put themselves in a position where they have to 
they almost have to get rid of him now. They almost they have no choice at this point but to move on from Fultz because it's too much of a distraction. But they've really jeopardized a lot. They they've now put everything in the Jimmy Butler basket. There's there's no guarantee that that's going to work out. I mean, there's no guarantee that a lot's going to work out, but they they have they've not only given up a potential draft pick in in the trade with Boston. They gave up Sarich, they gave up Covington, so they gave up depth to get Jimmy Butler, which fine on the surface you trade good players to get a great player, but that depth now if this doesn't work out, they have now completed the entire process it it's failed. The entire thing has failed because now they have screwed up this number one overall pick to the point where in a year, not even a year and a half, like just over a year, they've made that that situation completely untenable. And they've traded away depth to, to make a run at, we need to go for it now. And without that other draft pick, and who knows with what they're going to do with their cap space, if they're going to be able to fill those holes, but they, they may have put themselves in a position now where their chance to contend legitimately contend at the top of the East has, has been jeopardized. I'm not sure I would go all the way as far as you are, but I do think there's we're in a new chapter of the process, right? I think everyone can agree on that. It's like they've entered a new stage of their franchise. And I do think it's worth pointing out that like whether you liked Hinky or not, firing him and then you know, replacing him with a, a guy in Brian Colangelo who only lasted such a short time because of basically off-court reasons, uh, winds up really screwing over their franchise from the long term because now you've got all these different voices and all these different motivations, right? Like if you had the same GM who drafted Fultz, he would be in charge of doing all the exploration to find out what's wrong and getting him whatever help he can get. I don't think... You would have, you know, the agent or the lawyer or whatever you want to call him, you know, stepping up and being such a, a proactive uh, person here because the GM's, you know, reputation as the guy who got him and, and swung that big trade would be on the line and he would be the person most motivated to fix it. But when you change directions with your front office, now you're Elton Brand. I mean, imagine yourself in his shoes. What's an easier tack here? Fixing Markel Fultz or just moving forward with him? And I think uh, a lot of times we see that when there's executive turnover, the roster turnover uh, happens right afterwards because guys have different visions. And, you know, that's one thing where you've got to hold ownership to account on this. They got into this cycle of management turnover because they didn't really give Hinky a chance. Ownership can always be the great equalizer when it comes to this sort of thing. That is for sure. So before we start talking about the Toronto Raptors, are they for real? Don't forget, there is a Locked On NBA podcast for all of your favorite teams, whether it's the Pelicans or the Celtics. There is a local host who knows this team better than anyone else, giving you all the insight you need. So whatever your favorite team is, please make sure you listen and subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast of your choice. All right, the Toronto Raptors, they're one of the top teams in the league, and they are 13-0 against sub-500 competition, but just 7-5 against teams 500 or better. They've got a top-5 offense, a top-10 defense. They look good by all measures, but are they just taking advantage of a weak-ish schedule and beating up on those teams? Or is this really a team, Ben, kind of uh, your initial impression that is completely for real here in the NBA this year? No, I mean, they're really good. I think is the question, you know, can they be the team that wins the Eastern Conference? That's sort of their benchmark, right? Because if they fall short of that, it's a failed season. I mean, you make a swing for 
uh, Kawhi Leonard, you, you move on from a guy like DeMar DeRozan. I mean, you've set your sights basically as high as they can go, right? And I'm not sold that they're all the way there. Uh, you know, you look at their strength of schedule, it's below average to date. So I do think that that helps explain some of the uh, the record boosting that you're mentioning. I mean, they're a very, very good team. I just think their record says they're, you know, kind of easily the best team in the Eastern Conference. I'm not sold there. I do think some of the ups and downs come from Kawhi, frankly. I mean, late in games, I mean, he's had some really nice shots. Like the other night, he hit that baseline jumper, uh, you know, in a big moment, you know, late in that game against, I believe, Denver. But he's also had some really ugly turnovers, poor decisions in late game moments. And I think maybe you can chalk that up to rust or, uh, you know, just the time off from last year where, you know, he's got to reprove uh, who he can be uh, in those late game situations. But I think, you know, big picture, they're a deep team. They're very versatile. They can play big. They can play small. Their offense, uh, you know, as it's been for the last few years, is is really, really good and, and, and consistent. And I think their coach, you know, coming into a situation where you, know, you get a player like Kawhi, who's got all these red flags around him, you replace a very popular coach in Dwayne Casey, and you lose a, a very popular player in DeMar DeRozan. Like, that was a sneaky, difficult job for Nick Nurse. And the fact that he's 20-5 and five right now through 25 games – I mean, to me, that is, uh, you know, basically as much as you can ask for uh, if you're a Raptors fan. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Raptors, uh, they they're doing what they're supposed to do. You you feast on the bad teams. You're supposed to beat the bad teams, and they've done that. So you can't criticize them for beating the bad teams. Uh, you can say their schedule has been a little bit weak with 13 games against the uh, teams that are below 500, but at the same time. They, they have had some struggles against those those good teams and just makes you wonder. Now, of course, it's only December 5th when this gets published. That's way too early to make any determinations about how a team's going to play in the playoffs. But from a Raptors perspective, they've had these types of teams before. So if it was any other team, I'd say it doesn't matter. But I think for Raptors fans, there's this feeling of maybe here we go again. You have uh, an okay record against good teams. You put up this big, great win-loss record, regular season record, and there's still this question about can you can you perform in the playoffs? So uh, still really early to, to be getting into all of that, but I've already seen people around the internet saying, oh, here we go, same old Raptors. When, you know, when push comes to shove, are you going to be able to beat the really good teams? We'll have to see what's for real. Are the Bucks for real? The Bucks have the best point differential in the East. Are, are the Celtics going to figure things out? They've, they've climbed now. They have uh, the third best point differential in the East, and they've won three in a row. Are they going to figure out uh, themselves and, and climb back into the conversation with the other top teams? At that point, we'll be able to judge the Raptors a little bit better. But I think for now, there's a little bit of skepticism in how good their record really is. But from a Raptors perspective, they're doing what they're supposed to do. You have tough games against good teams. And when you face a bad team, you crush them. And that's basically what they've done.
Yeah, it, it'll be funny if they get back-to-back coach of the year being two coaches, including one that they fired, and there's probably some sort of irony in that. I don't know. They, they've got some interesting lineups they can throw out at you. And Ben, you said it. They can go big. They can go small. They've got, to got Pascal Siakam, who's kind of their version of Draymond Green, which I think unlocks him a little bit, and he's having a pretty excellent year for him. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see what they do. And like you said, it's basically it's it's getting to the finals or bust for them because this could all blow up in their face if Kawhi Leonard leaves after the year. So that's also going to be pretty interesting. Real quick, uh, building on something that John said, the here we go again thing is always going to be there for the Raptors, but now you're dropping Kawhi into that mix and Kawhi's never really had to face that big time pressure as the face of a franchise guy in the postseason. I mean, he was always kind of you know secondary to Duncan and, and to their sort of you know group approach. What I'm really interested in seeing, you know, during these upcoming playoffs, how does he handle the scrutiny if he has a bad night, if he doesn't play well, um, you know, if the the Raptors fans, you know, get, you know, kind of blue knuckled like they tend to get up there just kind of freaking out uh, if something doesn't go the right way. That will be a new situation for him. And we have no idea how he's going to respond. And especially after last year where, you know, no one really knows what's going on in his head. I think that is going to, you know, maybe even influence, uh, you know, potentially his free agency choice next year. I mean, I think there's, you know, that's a pressure cooker up there in Toronto. I mean, they're they're sick of going out early, uh, and I think he's going to be in the line of fire from from the fans if they don't live up to expectations. All right. So again, like the the 76ers, it's wait and see with Toronto what's going to happen there. So the other big news maybe was the Pat Beverly ejection after throwing bounce passing a basketball to a fan over in Dallas. I think it was just announced he's been fined $25,000 as well. And this leads to kind of an interesting question. And that's really what obligation does the NBA have to kind of police belligerent fans. We're starting to see this a little bit more. There's that video of DeMarcus Cousins being heckled and him kind of clapping back at those guys. You know, is this, it's not good for the game, obviously, but at a certain point, players are human, right? And we've, I think, you know, there should be an expectation. It's printed on the back of a ticket, kind of what the fan behavior is. So what degree does maybe the NBA need to get involved in this? Hey, look, I'm big on, policing the fans as well as the players. There's a a definite line that fans can't cross and you just can't let fans say anything just because you buy a ticket and because you're close doesn't mean you get to insult these guys. It's fine. You boo, you do all this stuff, but swearing at guys and cursing out their moms, there's, there's gotta be repercussions for that. You can't just sit there and laugh off the fact that you got the other guy ejected and of course, obviously Beverly can't throw a ball. And he, I don't want to say throw a ball at a fan. He didn't throw a ball at a fan. He just kind of bounced it towards him. Still can't do that. That obviously can't do that. You got to have that control. And unfortunately, it's on the players to have that control. The problem is that basketball is an emotional game. And basketball players need that emotion to to pump themselves up to a point where they're they're actually playing at their best. They use emotions and having been in Boston for so long here watching Kevin Garnett, guys like that that pump themselves up to a point into a frenzy that they're almost different people on the floor. It's it's hard to say now keep your emotions in check. 
because we want these guys to have this emotion. We need them to have this emotion to play at their best. And when you're in that state, sometimes it's easier to get triggered. So the NBA has to do something. We've seen too many players having these interactions with fans, too many fans feel like they have completely free reign to say whatever the hell they want because they've paid a lot of money for a ticket. But there has to be something that the NBA can do to find a happy medium. Fine, fine, go ahead. Uh, go ahead and find Beverly. That That's fine. But what happens to that fan? Does he have to, or does he get to sit in the front row and be a jerk again and, and love and bask in the glory of being a jerk? Yeah, I mean, I think, the NBA handled things by the book in terms of Beverly, right? Like the officials did what they were supposed to do according to the rules. The fine came down from the league office according to the rules. But I think the league's protocol also says like, look, if fans are acting this way, if your players, you're supposed to go tell the team security, you're supposed to tell like, you know, the referees or whatever, and they can address that problem in the arena, whether it's somebody going over there and telling the fan, look, this is your warning. Or in extreme cases, I've seen guys just booted from the arenas or, or taken away from their seats, uh, especially if, if they're drunk and clearly being belligerent, right? I'm not sure that was the case in Dallas. I mean, I, I saw what the fans said. It wasn't clear to me whether uh, you know alcohol was involved or, or whatever else. But uh, there seems like there was a breakdown. And especially if you read Beverly's comments, I mean, it's, it sounded like he told people, look, I tried to tell security to deal with them. They didn't deal with them. Uh, I think if I was part of the the league office, you know, investigating this incident after the fact, I would want to know, did that happen? Did Beverly tell security? How did they respond? What was their answer? Because the concern is, uh, you know, you've got a conflict of interest. Like if you're the Mavericks team security, (laughs) that's pretty tough. You don't necessarily want to throw out your own your own fan. Right. Because that reduces your home court advantage and and maybe makes a, a rich season ticket holder angry. So there's got to be a standard that is is being applied appropriately by uh, those security staffers, and uh, that could be arena security, that could be uh, you know team security, whoever it is. Uh, there needs to be follow up from the league in terms of did those guys do their jobs properly. And I think you know I, I don't think it's an epidemic. You know I don't see that much. I go to a lot of games. I don't see that many outlandish. Uh, incidents like this. And I I do think a lot of times security is able to calm people down or escort them out. Uh, But this was a situation that clearly Beverly reacted to because of the personal nature of the attack. And to me, if anybody else had overheard that, whether it was his teammates or assistant coaches or security staffers, uh, that should have just been nipped in the bud right off the bat. And and it's unfortunate that that it wasn't. Um, And hopefully, you know, he appeals his fine or at least makes his point with the league office so that they follow through uh, the right way on this one. You can see Doc mouthing, what's the guy supposed to do? What's he supposed to do? You know, and, and of course, the the obvious answer is he's supposed to not do what he did. But uh, I, I think there are people around there that saw what he did and how he reacted. And, and probably when it comes time to appeal, like you said, would go in and, and kind of corroborate his story. But yeah, I, it's... Yeah, but it's, it's not about the one fine, right? I mean, everybody can kind of agree. It's about making sure these things don't happen. And I don't know if that means this specific fan needs to lose his tickets, but I definitely think he needs a stern warning. I mean, he can't be out there at the next Mavericks game doing the same thing and and proudly giving his name to reporters uh, you know, as the guy who got Beverly riled up. I mean, that is not in the league's best interest or even the Mavericks' best interest. I mean, that's a really bad look, isn't it? It is. Totally is. And if you, I mean, you're saying it's not an epidemic, but... It's something, first of all, we don't know the extent 
of which this is happening because a lot of it, a lot of times the players don't react and that's to their credit. But I've seen videos of fans saying things and doing things. And sometimes it's just an obscene gesture. Sometimes they just look up and it sometimes it's, it's, they don't react, but fans will go some fans. I want to make sure I'm not saying everybody, some fans will go to any length to get a reaction from these players. And their entire goal is to record themselves. Throw it on Instagram. Exactly. Exactly. So they can show themselves like, Hey, I got under this guy's skin. Ha ha ha. Look how great I am. Like that's, that's not fair to the player. That's just not fair to the, there are lines and it's not an epidemic right now, but I can see it becoming one, especially with the popularity, you know, with the social media, if it's not policed properly by the NBA, this could grow into a bigger problem. Well, you, you see it. It's like you said, people are deliberately trying to do this to get it on their social media, gain followers, be that guy. I think we've seen one or two people who specifically make videos doing this and being a Pelicans guy. Remember the one incident with DeMarcus Cousins uh, last year or the year before that. And it's pretty awful because they're trying to cut. You know, we don't want fans influ- having any sort of influence on this game like it is. And unfortunately, it's there's one or two incidents where it happens. And maybe you're right. It could spill out of control. Who knows? But maybe it's on like you were saying Ben, security needs to get involved quicker they need to kind of have more of an eye on this and again people are human and i get that people think these guys make millions of dollars so they should put up with more but i don't know if that's fair to these players to try and do although i will say in this incident given what was said and how he didn't really throw the ball that hard i thought it was kind of awesome maybe that's not the right approach but i think you know there are worse ways it could have gone i guess there are definite worse ways it could have gone yeah, like Vernon Maxwell punching a fan 20 years ago. I mean, this, or uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of incidents over the years with stuff like that. And uh, you know, I I do think that kind of perspective is healthy here too, right? Because it didn't escalate. It didn't seem to me like it was ever really going to escalate in this particular situation. And when you compare it to some of the uh, other periods of time in NBA history, you know, this is fairly mild. I'll, I'll tell you a personal story, and I'm from Los Angeles originally, and this is probably when I was like 16 years old. I was at like a Clippers-Sonics game. That's how old this is now. Trash-talking Gary Payton like from courtside the entire game. He was good about it. The end of the game comes over to my friend and I and just goes, yeah, I heard you guys. I just want you to know I made more money in this game than your family made in the entire year. And <laughs> we, we shut the hell up after that. <laughs> Well, that was your first mistake. Never get into an arguing match or a, a back and forth with Gary Payton. You're guaranteed to take the L. Yeah, we, we lost that one pretty, pretty hard. So, Ben, thank you for joining us here on the Locked On NBA podcast. Everyone, give him a follow if you don't already. It's at Ben Golliver on Twitter. Thanks, guys. So that's going to do it for this Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you all for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. It's really easy. It takes just 30 seconds. And make sure you give John and I a follow on Twitter. I'm at Nola Jake, and he's at RedsArmy underscore John. And we'll be back with you all next week.